Well, I love those Specsavers ads. You know the ones I'm talking about? You should have gone to Specsavers. They're great ads, whether it's the one where the guy's forgotten to wear his glasses and he's put dog food into the coffee grinder. He doesn't realise it. Or the one of the person at the cricket match who grabs the peeled avocado instead of the cricket gear. They're just all so funny. And I think what's so funny about them is they feature people who are so confident they're seen correctly. They're so confident they're doing the right thing at the right time when really they're as blind as a bat. They're as blind as a bat. And I think that's what we see in this story. This is a story all about sight. And in this story, we meet someone who is blind, but at the end of the story can see. But we also meet people who claim they can see, they're so confident they got it right, they're so confident their eyesight is correct, and they're actually as blind as a bat. And as the story goes on, you can just see the mist covering their eyes. I think this story is kind of like a spiritual eye exam for us. It's kind of like God at the moment, tonight, wants to give us a spiritual eye examination to test us Are we seeing clearly? Can we see Jesus as he truly is? Well, it's a very dramatic story. You can kind of picture it like almost like a play. There's all these different characters. And so we're going to look at it in three acts. Act number one, the confusion of the disciples. The confusion of the disciples. Jesus sees a man who is born blind, who has been blind his whole life, never seen. And it's worth pointing out, Thursday was the International Day of People with a Disability. And I think more than anyone, Christians should be able to affirm the dignity, the value of people with disabilities as made in the image of God, loved by God, cherished by him. And so Jesus loves this man. But when the disciples see this man who is blind, they've got questions. They say to Jesus, hey, Jesus, what's going on here? Give us the background. Did he sin or did his parents sin? There's got to be some kind of sin here, which is why he's blind. What's going on? See, in their mind, there's some kind of tight connection between sickness, suffering, and sin. Almost like God is some kind of spiritual slot machine. You know, you you put in good things and then you're going to get good things out. But if bad things come out, it's because you put in bad things. You've disobeyed him. And maybe you've heard that kind of thinking before. Maybe you've heard someone say before, well, the reason you're sick is because you've sinned. The reason you're suffering is because you don't have enough faith. Maybe you've heard those kinds of thinking before. Can I say, I think there's three big reasons why that kind of thinking is so wrong, so wrong. Firstly, it makes those who are healthy proud. Because if you're not sick, if you're not suffering, you can say, well, that means I'm pretty godly. That means, you know, obviously I've been pretty obedient towards God, I'm pretty great. It's totally misunderstanding grace that none of us deserve anything. We're all sinners, Second reason why I think that kind of thinking is wrong is because it's just not true. You look around the world and you see plenty of people who are horrible people who are healthy and wonderful people who are sick. 
And I know from talking to many of you in this room, you have walked with people who are wonderful people who are sick. The third reason why I think this kind of thinking of the disciples is just so wrong is it's just cruel. It's just cruel. I just want to say, if, if you've ever been told anything like that before in this room, that your sickness, your suffering is because of some kind of sin, I'm so sorry. It should never have been said to you. It's insensitive. It's wrong. Yes, I do think sometimes in the Bible there are examples of suffering because of sin. But most of the time, not you only have to read the story of Job to realize how damaging that kind of thinking and assumption is. And so Jesus' response to these disciples is, verse 3, neither, neither this man nor his parents sinned. But this happens so that the works of God might be displayed. You see, when you suffer, God is with you. When you suffer, God has not left you. He is working. You may not see it. You may not see exactly how God is working and bringing good out of every situation, but he is working. And so Jesus says, this happened so that God's works can be displayed. That's Acts 1. Act 1, the confusion of the disciples. Well, let's get into the main part of the story. Act 2, the blind man sees. The blind man sees. Jesus says his famous statement, verse 5, I am the light of the world. Isn't that great? This world is pretty dark, isn't it? This world is pretty dark. 2020 has been pretty dark for many of us. And Jesus is shining. He is God's light shining, God's grace, God's truth, God's mercy shining for all to see. He's the light of the world. And what Jesus does is he shows us how he's the light of the world. He shows us. He kneels down and he spits in the dirt. It's not very COVID safe, but anyway, it wasn't 2020. He spits in the dirt. He creates mud and washes it all over this guy's eyes, sends him to wash, and he sees for the very first time. Sight. What's he doing? Why the mud? Couldn't he have done it in a less gross way? I think, I think what he's trying to show us, he's trying to remind us of the story of Genesis. The beginning of the Bible, God said, let there be light, and he made the world. And then God made humans out of the dust of the earth. And I think what Jesus is saying here is, I am the light. And out of the dust, he creates. He creates sight where there was no sight. He's showing us that he's God. Not just that, but throughout the Old Testament, there were prophecies about the Messiah, God's king, who would come. And the prophecies always said that this Messiah would restore sight to the blind. And Jesus is saying, look, I'm here. I'm God's king. I'm restoring sight. Well, the friends and the family of this blind man and the neighbors, they were shocked. They said to themselves, hang on, isn't this the blind man that we grew up with? Isn't this the blind man who's been sitting on the street corner for the last 20 years? 
Here he is walking around looking and seeing. It can't be true. He, he must be a stunt double. He must be some kind of twin brother that we never knew that he had. There's no way. Maybe you've had an experience like that before. Maybe when you became a Christian, your life changed, your life transformed, and the people that knew you before you became a Christian said, ah, oh, she's just going through a phase. This won't last. This isn't going to be long-term. This is just a short-term phase. But the facts are clear. This man's life has changed forever. It really happened. He was blind, and now he sees. But, you know, a lot more is going on in the story. That's not the main point. The main point of this story is not that the blind man got physical sight. The main point of the story is that the blind man got spiritual sight. Spiritual sight. That is the incredible thing that we see. I remember when I was at university, I did the 40-hour famine. Uh, many of you know the 40-hour famine, raising money for charity. Instead of giving up food for 40 hours, I went blind for 40 hours. Uh, I wore a blindfold, and uh, it was hard. Fumbling around in the darkness. I remember basic tasks, like I remember putting toothpaste on my toothbrush was a very messy affair. And the moment that I took off that blindfold after 40 hours, it was an experience I can't describe colour, clarity. And the Bible says that by default, every one of us is spiritually fumbling around in the darkness. We're lost. We're lost. We've rejected God. We're lost in sin. We don't know who God is. We don't know who we are. We're hopeless. And what we need is God to turn the spiritual lights on. What we need is God to turn on those lights so that we see who Jesus is, so that we see who we are in need of saving, in need of forgiving, in need of God's grace. That's what happens to this man. That's the incredible thing that happens to this man. Look at the journey he goes on. Look at the journey he goes on. Firstly, his neighbours are all surrounding him and saying, who did this? How come you can see? Who did this? And the man responds, verse 11, have a look at verse 11. He replied, the man they called Jesus did it. So at this point, the man's spiritual eyes have opened just a little bit. It's like a little squint. He knows Jesus did it, but he's just a man. The man called Jesus did it. Well, a little bit later in the story, the Pharisees are around him. They're interrogating him. It couldn't have been Jesus. Tell us the truth. Who did this? Who do you think Jesus is? And the man responds, verse 17, he says, Jesus is a prophet. Jesus is a prophet. A bit later, the Pharisees interrogate him again. This time, they're really angry. And the man responds, verse 33, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. So this man has already gone from a journey from calling Jesus a man to a prophet to from God. And then look at verse 38. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. 
Lord, I believe. And he worshipped. He's gone from spiritual blindness to spiritual sight. You know, I think that's the kind of journey many of us go on. I think in 2020, some people do become Christians instantly. God can do that, of course, and there are plenty of stories. But I think most of the time it's a journey. Most of the time it's a journey of people exploring who Jesus is, talking to people, doing Alpha, coming to church, meeting other Christians, dwelling, thinking. And it might take a year, it might take two years until someone says, Lord, I believe. Maybe you're on that journey tonight. Maybe you're thinking about who Jesus is, you're investigating him, you're on that journey tonight. That's so good. What I love, though, is the way this man goes on the journey. The way he goes on the journey is by looking at the evidence. By looking at the evidence. He is committed to examining the facts. Everyone's interrogating him, left, right, and center. Everyone's accosting him, and he just says, he says at the beginning, look, I just know the facts. I was blind, but now I see. How else are you going to explain it? And they keep interrogating him. Oh, it can't be true. You must be lying. They even get his parents because they're thinking, well, maybe he wasn't born blind. Maybe he just stared at the sun a bit too long. You know? and maybe this is just temporary. They get the parents. And, was he born blind? Yes, he was. They, they do everything they can to avoid the evidence, to avoid the facts. And the, the man says to the Pharisees, he gets annoyed with the Pharisees, why do you keep avoiding the truth? How many times have I got to tell you? He's examining, he's dwelling, he's investigating. In fact, he's even so committed to the facts that he's willing to risk being thrown out of the synagogue. He, he's willing to risk being alienated from his community. His parents were afraid of that. His parents said to the Pharisees, well, he was born, he was blind from birth, but they were too afraid to say he's the Messiah. They cared more about the Jewish leaders and what they thought about them than declaring the facts, the truth. But not their son. Not their son. He faced the facts, he examined, he investigated until he got to the point where he was convinced this man is from God, Lord I believe. Don't, don't let anyone ever tell you that there is no evidence for Christianity. I saw just this afternoon, just before coming to 4pm church, one of my friends posted on Instagram uh, a, a post which I guess she thought was funny, comparing the proof for Bigfoot to the Bible. And I just think that's just ridiculous, to be honest. Uh, the there is so much evidence. And can I encourage you, for those of you on that journey, to look at the evidence. I'd love to point you to some of them. I'd love to introduce you to people. Examine it yourself. I truly believe Jesus makes the most sense of the cosmos, of humanity, of morality, of history. And not just on a rational sense, but experientially, I believe Jesus makes sense of life. He makes life beautiful. I can't encourage you. Look at the evidence, just like the blind man did. Acts chapter 1, the confusion of the disciples. Acts 2, 
the blind man who sees. Act three, those who claim they can see become blind. Those who claim they can see become blind. See, Jesus says he's the light of the world. And light, light does two things. Light can illuminate or it can blind, can't it? Think about it, you're, you're driving on a dark road, you turn on those high beams. The road lit up. But you don't want to be one of those annoying drivers that leaves those high beams on when there's another car coming towards you because you're going to blind them. And it's not nice. And you see that in this story, this light of Jesus illuminates for the blind man, but it actually blinds. You see these proud, self-righteous religious leaders slowly becoming more blinded than they were at the beginning of the story. I went to the optometrist a few years ago, and the optometrist told me that I have 2012 vision, which apparently means that I can see at 20 meters what a normal person can see at 12. I'm very proud of this. I'm very proud of this. I brag about it to Christine all the time. She has to wear glasses. I brag about my 2012 vision. Except she likes to point out that I am famous for doing a boy look. Anyone familiar with this phenomenon, a boy look? The boy look is this. I'm there looking for the sticky tape, and I'm in front of the wardrobe. Christine, where's the sticky tape? It's right there on the middle shelf. No, it's not there. Look again, Andrew. I've looked everywhere. Trust me, no sticky tape. And then I hear her steps down the hallway. I'm thinking, dear God, may she not find it. (laughs) And she always finds it straight away. Anyone else familiar with this phenomenon? A few people. So here I am bragging. Oh, I've got the best sight. Oh, I've got 2012 vision, Christine. See a few people tapping their friends and partners. I've got the best sight, Christine. I can see 2012 vision. And yet, can't even see what's right in front of me. And I think that's as ridiculous as these religious rulers. They're so proud. They've got Moses. They've got the Old Testament. They've got their religious rules. They've even added in their own religious laws. They're so proud. They see, they think. And yet Jesus, the Son of God, is right in front of their face. And they can't see it. They're blind. Clueless. They're proud. They're proud. You know, they're proud because they don't realize they need him. They think they're saved by their good works, by their religion. They don't realize they need Jesus, his grace, and his mercy. Do you know, there's no more dangerous blindness than being blind to your own blindness. Isn't that true? There's no more dangerous blindness than being blind to your own blindness. I'm going to swap to the lectern mic, Scott. Say that again. There's no more dangerous blindness than being blind to your own blindness, isn't there? See, someone who needs glasses from an optometrist and they don't realise it, even though they're bumping into things and they're in denial, they're dangerous on the roads, they're in denial, their eyesight's just going to get worse. There's no cure for someone who rejects the only cure there is. 
And here are the Pharisees, and they're blind to their blindness. They're blind to their sin. They don't realize they need Jesus. They don't realize they need his forgiveness, his grace. They don't realize he's come to die for them. And they reject him. Can I say, particularly in, in our area of Sydney, we're in such an advantaged area of Sydney in an advantaged suburb, and it's so easy to not realise we are spiritual beggars, desperately in need, desperately lost without Jesus. It's only when you realise your sin that you see clearly God's grace and his love. So Jesus says in verse 39, it's a really confronting verse, verse 39, for judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. That's what we see in the story. The blind man, physically blind, spiritually blind, but in seeing. And those who think they can see, who don't realise what's in front of them, you see the mist covering their eyes. So what's the cure? It's to have an encounter with Jesus. That's the cure to our spiritual blindness, to come to Jesus, to realise we need him, we need his grace, to trust him, to believe him, to stop trusting in ourselves, to stop our pride and come before him with open hands asking for forgiveness. Have you done that? Have you done that? Some of you might be on a journey to do that, just like the blind man, and that's great. But maybe tonight you're ready to do that tonight. Maybe you've been putting on the religious show, saying the Christian things, and yet you know you've never accepted Jesus yourself into your heart. Don't put it off. Do it tonight. Open your eyes and see Jesus for who he is. John Newton, he did just that. John Newton uh, wrote many of the songs we sing in church. He lived a life apart from God. He was an African slave trader. And he became a Christian. His life transformed, just like the blind man. He realised how lost he was and God's amazing grace. And he wrote these words. He wanted to warn people to open their eyes. He said, Oh, hear the warning voice. Flee from the wrath to come. Pray that the eyes of your mind may be opened. Then you'll see your danger and gladly follow the shining light of the world. And then he wrote the words of probably the most famous hymn ever written Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Let's pray together. Jesus, we praise you. You are the light of the world, shining in the darkness. Forgive us for turning from you, running to the darkness, and rejecting you. 
Lord, would you open our eyes to see you more clearly? Even those of us who've been Christians our whole lives, would you help us to see you better, to love you more? For those of us on a journey exploring the evidence, would you show and reveal yourself more and more to us? And we thank you that you have saved us and rescued us for your grace, that we were blind, but now we see. We praise you. We thank you, Lord Jesus, the light and life of the world. Amen.